Hello, my name is Christine Deeson, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Dr. Nancy Williams. She's a freelance musician, educator, and composer based out of Rapid City, South Dakota. After receiving a DA in clarinet performance with a musicology secondary from the University of Colorado, a music educator for over 20 years, she has held faculty positions at Northwestern, Dort, and Sioux Falls College, and is currently the clarinet instructor at Chadron State College. Williams is a founding member of the West Wind Quintet, Clarinet Madness Clarinet Choir, Clarinet Quartitude, and Calumet Clarinet Duo. An advocate of new music, she has a history of commissioning and premiering original works, in addition to composing her own pieces. A multifaceted ensemble musician, she's performed with various orchestras, including the South Dakota Symphony Orchestra and San Diego Ballet. If you want to get your free copy on sexism in classical music, check out drnancywilliams.com. Thank you, Nancy, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yes, I, I know uh, I've read uh, your background. Uh, you know, I've shared with our audience all of the wonderful things that you do. Could you tell us a little bit more about what led you to that journey? Um, I, uh, my journey was very non-linear. <laughs> I grew up in a really small Midwest farming community in the band tradition and um, so became a band director first and wanted to pursue performance more and so um, took the next steps in that area and that eventually led me to getting my doctorate which was the very first time I was exposed to a woman composer was and uh, had in as far as meeting or performing anything uh, written by a woman or meeting a compo woman composer. Uh, and I actually accidentally started composing at the same time. A colleague of mine knew that I had done some clarinet choir arranging uh, for my own community clarinet choir and asked if I composed. And I said yes and signed up for composition lessons the next day. Uh, and that has become a great joy. And so um, being from a small community, everyone had to be in everything. And so I was lucky enough to be exposed to a lot of different genres. I have a background in jazz as well as classical um, and uh, had a vocal minor as, uh, in my undergraduate as well. Uh, and so a being, I guess, kind of a music generalist was something I grew up with and has led me that, that philosophy of um, being able to take from different genres and different studies to enhance whatever it is that I'm doing at the moment is something that carried with me. That That's so, that's so inspiring, you know, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, being able to take those experiences and uh, being able to curate them, you know, in a way that makes it so it's not only something that's meaningful for you, but also being able to contribute back to the community. I feel like that's such a, that's such a big thing. And, you know, um, it's so funny because, you know, I, in a, in a way, I also had a similar, 
you know, aha moment with, with women composers. You know, uh, a lot of the research I've done has been with French female composers. And I'd love to learn more about that as, you know, as we keep going. Um, and so you talked about this idea of this nonlinear uh, path. Uh, why why would you call it the nonlinear path uh, in regards to you know um, describing your 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 growth and your development? Uh, well, as I got further along in my career and started um, having experiences out of the Midwest, I realized how unique my experience was. Um, I grew up at a time when there wasn't the internet and I didn't have access to a lot of information, and so I was just doing what was seen around me um, and it, again it was a very isolated community and um, so having met people that had east coast educations and and now it's really common to go straight through with your undergraduate masters and doctorate and never have like a job outside of that um, and so uh, that, that, was, that was a surprise. I didn't really realize how unique my experience was until I uh, was getting my uh, doctorate. Okay, no, uh, this, is, this is really interesting. Yes, I know like today, for example, a majority of people, um, I don't even know if it's really just within music, right? But, you know, in the performing arts, right? Because of the fact that, you know, when we think about the competitive nature right there's just so many um you know people wanting to do the same thing and just being able to you know kind of stick out you know from that crowd i feel like in a sense it can be really um it can be really exhausting because we have to go through all of these motions of being able to you know secure that that you know that like coveted you know uh tenure track job right you know when it comes to academics uh, in regards to, you know, this idea of our industry, right, you know, you're also not only just a musician, you're a teacher, you're a creator, uh, you also are a writer. Uh, is it possible for you to talk more about, you know, the different hats that you wear and how do you feel like those hats contribute, you know, uh, to the community? Uh, well, that's actually a really good question. Interesting that you would say that because I found myself after I got my doctorate, which was in December of 2019, so right before the pandemic hit, um, and I had been having uh, more and more health problems, which recently got diagnosed, found out I needed to have a spine surgery in my neck. So I'm currently recovering from that, but it took them a really long time because it didn't manifest itself in usual ways. Um, and so, and I, I also had um, my husband's company was not letting him, allowing him to move for my job. Um, they, he had changed managers, they had gotten bigger, because um, originally when I went and got my doctorate, they had said that that was okay. And so I was looking at, during the pandemic, uh, having the decision to actually not apply for higher end jobs, which is, had been the entire purpose of my doctorate, or so I thought. Um, but it, it forced the, the decision, so, okay, I'm having these health problems, not even actually able to work full time at this moment, and I'm not able to move to be able to use my degree how I wanted. Um, how can I be of influence? And I started a leadership coaching at that time, because I'd I'd always been teaching more than music 
And that forced me to discover my why, which is to inspire awareness and empowerment so that others can be agents of positive change in the world. And I realized that pretty much everything I'd done in music and outside of music had been under the umbrella of that goal. And, and I think that's amazing, you know, like, because of the fact that, you know, when, when we think about overcoming, you know, these types of obstacles, right, or, you know, these types of, you know, uh, roadblocks, I guess you could say, right. And we, we have this goal, we have this incentive. And, you know, sometimes what people forget is that sometimes there are outside factors, right, that are not like really related to, you know, something that you may have done directly, or just, you know, the overall circumstances that have actually made it so that you were able to be in a position to be creative. Um, and to really draw on those on those aspects of, you know, the strengths, not just within music, but also to the strengths of who you are and what you what you want to give back to the community. I, I think that's really uh, powerful stuff, Nancy. Yeah, what I had thought as um, like it was a pretty devastating challenge at the time ended up being one of the best opportunities of my life. No, I, and I, I think that's amazing. Now, one of the things that you've mentioned, um, because, you know, with one of the things that we do at the Modern Artist Project is, it's not only just, you know, the idea of, you know, encouraging, empowering, you know, those in the creative industries, right? So it's not even just something that we do for music or, you know, but also within like writing, uh, you know, theater and things like that. You know, uh, you mentioned this idea of, you know, your background as a as not only a creative but also as a academic uh and i know you have a book that has has come out could you talk more about that yeah again that was kind of a happy accident because i was just curious about the topic um and and was forced to to need a topic for one of my musicology courses when i was getting my doctorate uh, and i had felt at that point that i was really um, not as knowledgeable as I should be about classical period ornamentation. And so that started me down the rabbit hole of researching this entire culture of improvisation that uh, as a clarinetist, I was not as familiar with as, for example, our, our other woodwind or other musical counterpoints who had, you know, a, a with the Baroque tradition to draw from, where this was much more common. Um, and as I was creating this, these actually multiple papers and projects, uh, I was realizing that my colleagues who didn't come from the wide background that I had of musical influences and didn't have a jazz background, were really afraid to pay, play anything off the page. And so I thought this was a really good opportunity with my education background. At one point, I even taught general music. And so I knew how to teach aural skills and realized that wasn't being done on, on the instrument. So I was able to use all of these um, different expertise that I had throughout my career at that point uh, to put together this book on classical ornamentation practices. Uh, dur during the classical period for woodwinds, as well as an aural training guide, 
um, and to look at it through an educator's standpoint with goals and objectives and to really handhold people who were not exposed or had a big fear of incorporating this because I, the more I understood the culture, the more I felt a passion about being true to that zeitgeist and spirit of the times. And it changed the way that I looked at classical music, all of those repeats that I thought were boring now were exciting, were opportunities. And it informed the way that I performed modern music because the past informs the future. And so I started um, looking at uh, post-classical music and how that had informed that and, and, and the difference that it made would have made then with, with performers that had that experience that we had kind of lost over time. That's, and you know, I think that's really amazing, you know, because when we think about, you know, a lot of time we're in school, you know, we want to play clarinet or flute or tuba. I don't know why I brought up the tuba. Um, you know, this isn't even part of the conversation, right? <laughs> well, I mean, they can be part of it too, you know, it's okay. Or, you know, but the thing is, it's like, you know, research, you know, being able to fulfill a need, you know, the thing is, you know, you recognize that there was a problem. Uh, that there was a resource that I mean, we have multiple resources, but a resource that actually takes it from a pedagogical standpoint and also, you know, being able to understand the value of of what this is right, you know, for example, when we when we are studying music, sometimes there's not going to be a ton of students who have the opportunity to afford lessons where they would be able to get this, you know, direct, um, you know, resource from a teacher. Whereas, you know, by being able to create a resource, you know, that can be used, you know, by students who may not have teachers or maybe even by, you know, professionals and, and things like that, I think that that creates value, you know, and it's not only just value, but like also, you know, consistency with these performances. How have, how have your students uh, responded to, to the text and, uh, you know, the different people that, <laughs> the, the different people that you've been in contact with? Well, my students were kind of my guinea pigs while I was creating the oral skills. And I was, so I had the research behind it and I knew that um, it was gonna improve tone and intonation and musicianship. I mean, there's data behind that with improvisation and in and, and, um, the creation of music. I had not anticipated how quickly results could be seen. I had one of my students in particular who had had trouble uh, playing in tune and her mouthpiece pitch was sharp. We've been working on it, you know, as an educator, I'm trying to find different ways to <laughs> get her to respond. And I'd started uh, incorporating and trying out this method with her. And it was just in a matter of two weeks, I think. And she came in and her mouthpiece pitch was spot on. And she was playing in tune. And I asked her, what's going on? Um, because at this point, I really didn't think that it was the exercises that we'd been doing. Because my, my whole point was, is like, you can introduce this in like just a couple minutes per lesson. It doesn't have to take over. Um, and so, I mean, it really hadn't been that month much. We hadn't been doing it for that long. I was just really curious what finally had clicked for her. And she told me, I, 
I think it's those stupid things you're making me do <laughs> at the beginning of lessons um, because my band director noticed it too. And it's just really making me listen more. I don't think I was really listening that much before to myself. When you no, I and I think that's great. You know, I I mean, like we're you know we're both we're also both teachers. You know, I and you know we we like to try new things with our students because that's really when you see if if it works, right? And it's not saying that you know our students are like science experiments because you know we love our students, right? We love our science experiments. We love you know the idea of seeing the possibilities, and and that's the thing. It's a matter of being able to see that, and I I could see that you've you've done that with you know the community of students that work with you. Uh, and like to actually hear the fact that it's been successful has been is, is really great because, you know, a lot of the time, especially with new techs, right, a lot of people can be, you know, sometimes skeptical, skeptical or, you know, even just being able to have the confidence to to just say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to share this with the world. Um, what led you to that point? Because I know you mentioned that, um, you know, a little bit earlier in regards to, you know, having the confidence to, to do that? I, it, I was just so passionate about it. Um, I felt that classical music, music education was lacking in this area because I had the jazz tradition and saw how uh, young students, when they start performing jazz, they start improvising and it's not very good and people are encouraging and they're clapping for their solos and that builds that momentum and that confidence. And in the classical world, uh, we weren't giving them oral skills. And then when they when we get to higher education, we're like, okay, here, you have to create a cadenza and it has to be good. Or you have to add melodic elaboration and, and it has to be high quality. And I think that there was a disconnect there where we weren't giving people permission to make mistakes. And in having to write all of, out all of this stuff ahead of time, which is ultimately what a lot of people do, is write it out and memorize it. We were losing that improvisatory culture that, there, that existed in the classical era. And um, we were denying our students the excitement of creating music in front of a live audience. And um, after I created my book, I thought, okay, I really need to put my money where my mouth is and started incorporating it in my own performances and was absolutely blown away by the audience engagement. The music from, you know, 200, 250 years ago was alive because I had informed them ahead of time what I was going to be doing. And um, I wasn't preparing anything ahead of time. I really was improvising on the spot. And it was just so much more exciting for them and so much more exciting for me and created um, such a, a feeling of communication with not only between the audience and I, but, but with this period of music and the people that came before. No, this is this is really great. And you know, when we think about, you know, the idea of being able to connect with the audience, right? And I I love the explanation that you gave, you know, being able to not like 
replicate right you know because you know what right by writing down okay this person did this cadenza this person did this one but being able to have the the spirit and the drive you know and being empowered i mean i could definitely tell you i would probably like be so worried like coming coming as a performer because of the fact that i you know that improvisatory nature it can sometimes be frightening for people how 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 do you encourage your students or what would you encourage our listeners uh, to do to overcome that, you know, potential fear? Well, I, I actually go over this a lot in my book, too. And it's uh, part of it is having something that's more important than your fear. And it's having that desire to engage the music in a more authentic way and to make a more exciting performance for you and for the audience. Um, and, and being true to uh, the composers of the past that expected this of, of us. Um, and, uh, you know, my, the problem a lot of times with improvisation during this time is not that there isn't enough material, it's that there's too much. And so when you start looking in, at and researching what there is, it can be overwhelming for instrumentalists. And so my goal with, with the book was really condense, to condense it to the most important information, to present it in uh, a really accessible way so that you can gradually build those skills and be empowered. And so that by the time you get on stage, there's less fear. No, definitely. And I think, you know, what I loved about what you just mentioned is the fact that you talk about this idea of accessibility. Right, because of the fact that, you know, our, don't get me wrong, I, I love to read too, okay? Reading is great, you know, being able to acquire all of that knowledge. But at the same time, you know, we live in a society that has just so much, you know? And, you know, when we think about the patience of people or even the patience of our students, you know, trying to give them the things that they need, right? Um, and being able to not only give them what they need, but also being able to fulfill their wants, right? You know, in regards to being able to develop and curate that musicianship, because, you know, I mean, there's just so much out there. And, you know, with a lot of scholarship, you know, these days, you know, sometimes, you know, you encounter a 500 page book on, you know, performance practice from, you know, the Renaissance period. And it's like, you look at it and you're like, I don't even know where to begin, right? When you talk about this idea of accessibility and making it so that it is for communities today, for students today, or even professionals of today, how were you able to approach that? So that was really important to me to create something that was accessible to a wide variety of people. Um, I think because of my background, you know, I came from a, a, a large, poor family. I didn't have the availability to take lessons. Uh, it was a really intimidating area for me to step into to, that had all this tradition that I didn't even know about. Uh, and so I wanted to be part of that solution. And, and, and so I actually start the book with um, uh, a paper that is uh, I had used for one of my projects, uh, doctoral projects, that is uh, uh, scholarly with scholarly apparatus. Um, but 
after that, my language is very accessible. In fact, I had an, an adult amateur that bought my book in the community and came up to me later and she's like, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm able to get as much out of this. I was really worried that it was going to be uh, uh, too much. And she goes, your, your language is just so easy to access and understand. And I really appreciate that because I wanted it to be accessible to my colleagues who didn't have the, the type of higher education, who um, my colleagues who were teaching privately and college professors as well. It's, it's such that as a professor, like my professor was doing, you can actually just hand the book to your students and they'll be able to work through it themselves. Ideally, you wanna help them on the journey, but <laughs> um, so that was very intentional, I think just because of my humble beginnings I wanted it to be something that people with limited means could experience. And I, and I think that's amazing, you know, because, you know, when we, when we think about our own individual journeys, you know, the idea of wanting to give back, you know, being able to, you know, touch lives of people who may not have had the same opportunities or had gone through the similar experiences that you have and making their lives so much easier, you know, in, in that way of, you know, having them, you know, not encounter the same problems, because ultimately, when we think about the community, music community, or even creative community, or arts community, you know, we want to be able to curate that, right? Um, you know, being able to help one, one another, you know, in regards to each other's journey, or, you know, being able to influence one another, because those, those things are, those things are so important, you know, for the growth, you know, of, of not only just, you know, the community, but also the industry and being able to have that type of positive impact and change. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask uh, in regards to, you know, another book that you've talked about, which, you know, you've mentioned is available on your website, right, uh, is, you know, the idea of sexism in in classical music and, you know, what inspired that? I mean, because, I mean, it's very different from, you know, this idea of, you know, uh, creating a resource for students, but in um, professionals, right? In regards to making ornamentation more accessible. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about what led you on, on this other uh, project? Right, so this was just really a quick booklet that I, I put together using my leadership skills and, um, and tools and resources there uh, because of what kind of what happened this spring in the clarinet community with all of the European uh, conferences and festivals and competitions that were not including women in their lineups of performers and judges um, and teachers. And uh, I, when, um, you know, our colleagues were getting feedback about all of the, it, it kind of cracked open the whole issue of sexism, um, which was disheartening. Uh, a younger, younger students, clarinetists in particular, because it was happening in our community, were coming forward with these just really awful stories. And, um, and one of our colleagues was like, I, I don't know what to do. Like there's, there's, I don't know where to send these, these people for help. And I was like, I, I can, I can help with this. I can be a part of this solution. Uh, and so I just included um, 
what to do if, if it's to the point of sexual, sexual harassment, where to go for help, um, what the different types of uh, sexism can be, because that's surprising for a lot of people. Some things that you may not consider sexism actually are. And, um, and then what to do if you're confronted and you're, you're, I hate to say a victim of sexism, but you, you start realizing that um, it's, it's a part of what you're having to go through as a classical musician. Uh, and clarinet in particular is still one of the most patriarchal instruments in the higher echelon, which confuses people because most of the students that start band are women, girls. Uh, and so there's a disconnect, I think, into realizing there was a problem and um, into realizing that there was a lot of damage out there that needed to be, um, needed to, to, to have a voice and to have a way to heal. And so that's what I was trying to do um, with that guide. And it also came out of my own experiences. Uh, it had not been, um, I mean, obviously my entire career had been learning how to manage sexism in various forms. Um, but not long before this spring, I had actually had an experience that was uh, one of the most traumatic for me, actually. Um, and so part of the guide is also infused with my learning how to overcome that and to still be uh, a spirit of joy and compassion in my work and not hold on to the anger and resentment that I initially had from that experience. Wow, you know, um, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's, you know, it's not an easy topic to talk about, you know, this idea of sexism and, you know, the idea of, you know, having to, you know, spend a majority of our career learning how to navigate that, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, as, you know, as a musician, you know, it's also, and as a teacher, you know, being able to provide that insight also, you know, in a way, whether it's like through direct interactions with our students, or, you know, even in a, a guide, like a, a guide, you know, even a free guide, you know, for, for people, I think that that demonstrates the compassion that you have for, for the community, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard when you, it's, it's confusing, right? You, it's like, it's like all these male events, and then you, and it's confusing because like you, you see a bunch of you know female students also playing the instrument right in you know elementary middle school you know high school and you know in college but then it's just like you know that disconnect i feel you know because a lot of time when we encounter these things that they don't tell you you know in you know i i feel like it comes in like the fine print like in font two right like at the bottom of like you know the career of like being a musician is that you may or may not encounter sexism in you know these xyz ways and they don't really tell you that because of the fact that you know ultimately it is about the music right but at the same time it's it's one of those things that you know i think that's it's important to share you know and um in regards to you know your career and your development you know uh, it seems like a lot of the projects and a lot of the 
things that you have created have not only just been a, a result of, you know, happy accidents. I, I also call it, I, I also like to create things, right? But, you know, but also like accidents that happen to be very useful and, you know, uh, you know, as a result of your personal experiences, you know, being able to, you know, create, you know, meaningful experiences for people, you know, how have you found, you know, the digital age being able to help that? Because I know you had mentioned that you came uh, during a time when there was no internet and, and you know, from that point until today. Well, I mean, in some aspects, it's really wonderful because there are so many more people that you can reach. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very appreciative for that. It's, it's also wonderful to be able to see what you can do more than, you know, if we, if we didn't have technology, we'd be limited by what was happening around us. And the internet gives us the capability to see, oh, this is, this, this person did this and that's amazing. I never thought of doing that, but this is something I'm really passionate about and I could do something like this also. Uh, but you know, with with every tool, there's um, it's a double edged sword. And so I think sometimes it can be hard to have authentic connection and uh, meaningful relationships. Um, I think it can detract from the internal musical voice that we have as well. That was one of the, the beautiful things about growing up basically in the middle of nowhere um, is that I learned that music, a, a lot of musical expression that I have to teach my, my students, I created within myself. I had, music is a human expression. And when you are connected enough to your humanity, um, a lot of that musicality is a natural extension of that. And so um, when, you know, I, I got to situations where people had more education, more training than I did, I was able to have that inside to know that we weren't better, we weren't competing with each other. Someone was like a better necessarily musician than I. That our in, that our journeys were all really individual because we already were hardwired for that human musical experience in a very individual way. And I and that's you know I think that's really uh, I think that's really important also you know the idea of you know being able to understand you know this humanity part you know that sometimes we miss you know it you know i mean ultimately you know we're we're here to you know uh you know create to to connect to be authentic and i you know with the, sometimes with you know digital media or even with like social media platforms you know being able to connect with those people in a genuine way i know you had mentioned you know in regards to reaching out to those uh, earlier you know reaching out to those people who had gone through those experiences and and actually putting yourself in a position where you know uh, uh putting yourself in a position where you are that rock for those people you know in, in being able to not only just to hear, you know, the things that they have to say about their experiences, you know, being able to f find a way for them to look at it in a different way, you know, but also to, um, to, you know, to absorb that for them. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot, you know, because not only is, is it 
you know, just the idea of listening and engaging in a way that, you know, the person on the other side actually feels like they feel cared for, that they feel seen. And that's something that's, you know, really, I, I feel like that's, that's a gift, Nancy, you know, in regards to being able to, you know, um, engage in those aspects of, you know, connecting, you know, whether it's like a physical connection as in like in person, right? Or a connection that's like through, you know, these digital platforms, you know, because I, I know you've you've done a lot of things with creation. How what what types of advice would you give actually in regards to to that authenticity? You know, because I mean, you you are you seem very authentic. You seem very like genuine and real. You know, uh, just from you know our conversation right now. And what would you uh, you know advice that you would have for others? Um, you know, it's one of the most powerful. Uh, contributing factors, I think, to being authentic is just being comfortable in your own skin. And so often today, people are comparing their journey to other people's, especially on social media, where everyone's showing, you know, the rosiest details of their lives. Um, and for me, uh, because of the health issues I had, which actually started before my doctorate, um, I was I was not diagnosed about 14 years ago misdiagnosed rather, um, uh, and had been managing chronic pain for quite some time. And when it first kind of uh, blew up, I really was only able to work a couple hours a day. And so I was forced to reevaluate how I defined myself, which had always been as a musician and a hard worker. Like I had a really strong work ethic. And what do you do when you can't perform? and you can't work. And being forced to find my worth as a person separate from anything that I do, to be good enough just being. Uh, and that was uh, a really compelling factor in, as, a, as an educator, being able to show other people uh, their worth, their musical journey. Um, but also when I started leadership coaching, I mean, that, that was huge to help people see the, the validity of their own journey and be, being able to take joy in their flaws and realize the worth that they bring to the table, not by anything that they do, but just by, by who they are and allowing people to be comfortable with themselves in a way that, that they hadn't been before. I mean, it was kind of forced on me, but I'm, I'm grateful for, for it. It sounds a little bit bizarre to say that you're grateful for 14 years of chronic pain, but <laughs> I mean, that really forces some hard lessons. And around that time, I also lost, um, I, we call it deathpocalypse, which is not to mock it, but um, my husband and I between us lost five members of our immediate family in separate instances um, where, where they had died. Um, and but two of those were my parents. And when the people who control your culture when you're growing up, and control isn't the best word, the people who create your culture when you're growing up, who nurture you as a child and give you the structures um, to define yourself when that is no longer there, because I grew up in a, in a, in a pretty 
strict conservative household. When that is no longer there, I mean, it's, and I, I, I adored, particularly my mother and I had a really strong relationship. Um, and the grief and loss and definition of yourself as a daughter and the loss of that relationship. And yet the, again, the flip side of that being the ability to now define yourself by your own rules and your own decisions about the culture that you wanna create for yourself. Um, so, you know, every, every challenge has another side and every challenge is an opportunity. Um, and so as challenging as my life has been in a lot of aspects, it gives me the opportunity to, to be that much better of a mentor and a teacher and a creator. I think that's amazing and very touching. You know, I'm so sorry, you know, about that. That's cop. That's a cop. Death copolics, like, like <laughs> apocalypse, like apocalypse only with death. And that that was part of our way of dealing with it was to, to find humor in it because, and they were spaced out like one right after the other for like a year. Oh my would God. Be one year, and then like a year later would be another major, uh, major passing. And, and it, so you never really complete the grief process. Oh, that's, that's difficult. And yeah. that was, it was, there was a five-year period there. Um, and it, it changes you like in a way that I don't it it's really hard to describe like I, I can't I don't have the words but um it forces you to realize everything everything that you think you needed from the universe oh wow no I mean this is it's this already is, inside of us this like, is amazing yeah yeah you know, and, and, you know, being able to feel that connection, I feel like to the universe and, you know, and, and being able to not only realize, you know, and process, you know, these complicated emotions, you know, because even as musicians, we, we have to demonstrate, right, or not even demonstrate, but we also have to like convey this in sound. And that's something uh, it's so hard, right, you know, because it, it goes kind of back to what you had mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that like when we think about our connection to humanity and music um, and having that humanity, you know, be that extension of, you know, expression that, you know, that we wouldn't otherwise say, couldn't say in words, right? You know, when we talk about this idea of grief and being able to, how do I say this, like interpret the noise of what's happening and being able to take a step back and say, okay, right, now this has happened, but what are the things that we could reflect upon those? And I feel like that's something that, you know, they don't teach you that in music school, you know, or, you know, in those, those connections. And it's kind of like one of those life lessons that we just kind of figure out, figure out as we go, you know? Um, one of the questions, one of the last questions that I have is, you know, you've lived and, you know, I mean, you're still living, obviously, <laughs> you, you have such a rich experience of different, you know, things, you know, in regards to your career as a performer, as you know, a chamber musician, as a teacher, as you know, an academic, as a scholar, and, you know, all of these really great things. Now, when we think about, you know, today, when we think about the uh, you know, the young artists, you know, the young musicians, the young people who are in universities and conservatories and who are, you know, isolated in those practice rooms, you know, and, you know, practicing their brains out, you know, and they're about 
to, you know, embark, you know, on these careers, what are the things that you would, you know, tell them or would you give as advice, you know, in regards to, you know, being able to establish, you know, that type of persona? Uh, so absolutely practice is necessary, but you're not going to have anything to say musically unless you get out of the practice room at some point. I like think make that... a life. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that's, you know, I think that's important, you know, because a lot of time, you know, we, we get stuck, right? You know, a lot of time, you know, people think that their only path is this orchestral musician path, right? Or their only path is, uh, you know, to teach in a university. But in regards to your path, it seems like you were able to do all those things in a variety of different ways, but also being able to create things that that touch your soul and being able to have that and share that with with the community. Well, it's at some point, I just decided to stop doing things that I didn't love doing. And I just let that be my guide. In fact, it was this this time last year, I was going through what I call my semester of rejections. Because I had gotten a, a big rejection in that August, I think I thought it was something I really wanted. I thought it was something I was going to get and I did not get it. And I was really disappointed. And I was like, this is not my ethos. I like to separate myself from um, the, the product. I mean, you do what you do because you love it. And then if it works out, yay. If it, and if it doesn't, then it, it wasn't your time. And so I was really disappointed at my reaction. So I decided that that semester I was going to try and get as many rejections as I could. <laughs> and ultimately, um, you have to start being a little bit pickier. Uh, and because um, there's way too many things to apply for, there's way too many ways to get rejected. And it forced me to look at, okay, what do I really, really, really want to do? What would I love to do? Um, and so that really uh, um, catapulted my career in unexpected ways and uh, leveled up my business and, and sense of professionalism. Yeah, and I, and I think this is, this is really great advice to leave with our listeners, uh, Nancy. So uh, if you haven't already, be sure to check out a free copy of Nancy's book on sexism in classical music. So Nancy, thank you for joining us today and for sharing your experience and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you continue to do for our community. Oh, thank you. It was so lovely talking to you today. Thank you for having me. Just to uh, drop the link so you can find the book at drnancywilliams.com. Thank you for supporting this show by listening and sharing with your friends. If you liked this podcast, please rate and write a review of how this show has helped you. This will help us be able to increase our visibility nationally and in being able to make an impact on the profession. If you would like to hear more about any specific topics, please email us at info at themodernartistproject.com. I would love to help support your community in all artistic disciplines. Thank you.